What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Good. How you doing? Not too bad. Awesome. Sounds like you had a busy morning or afternoon. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I, I did like a podcast with BMC, and then application they were using wasn't working, so we had to change it up. Oh, no worries. Cool. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. This is incredible. No worries. So I used to say this was the easiest question, but every girl or guy kind of pauses. Who is Larry Warbass? Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> Hard question, man. I don't know. Uh, huh, yeah, it's how do you define yourself? You know, uh, I think. Um, hmm, yeah, that's not so easy. But I guess I would just say, like, how, how would my friends see me? Uh, yeah, professional cyclist, good guy. Uh, yeah, I like to have a good time. I'm pretty social, um, and. Yeah, try try to be a good person. So that's pretty much uh, the summary, I guess. <laughs> well, we'll hit on one of those points of being a pro cyclist. Give us so, kind of like the ninety to one hundred and twenty second run up of you. You mean you've been racing a really long time at the highest level? Uh, I was looking back at even like road results to get some domestic stuff. You were a very young buck doing uh, Fitchka or Fitchburg. It was, oh, yeah. I was actually a cat two there. That's where I got a result to, to help me get my one. And nice. uh, so I was looking way back. But, dude, if you look on, like, pro cycling stats, you've been in Europe since 2007, I want to say, doing a ton of racing. Yeah, that was the first year I came to Europe, yeah. Yeah, so give us a progression of that. I mean, it is – It's not, not many Americans are racing over there that long and doing what you're doing. So kind of how do you see – I don't want to – you know, ramble off these stats, but like, I'm just curious how you see your trajectory where, what were you doing in 2006 then that then you were like, okay, 2007, I'm going to Europe. Yeah. So, um, I guess like I was a junior. Um, so I, I raced, uh, the first time I came to Europe in 2007 was with the junior national team. So yeah, I guess before that I was just, you know, I was into cycling. I really enjoyed it. Um, I started racing when I was like, 13 14 years old i started mountain biking um i'm from traverse city michigan so we have a pretty big race called the Iceman every year um in the mountain biking world and uh yeah so i did that did that one year really enjoyed it and then uh, a friend who i ski raced with actually um he invited me to come with him to a bunch of races the year after so um yeah did uh did that really liked it and then i think when i was around yeah, 15, 16, I started to do more on the road. Okay. And yeah, I went to like a, a regional camp um, that USA Cycling put on where like, you know, I guess they're, they're sort of like talent ID camps. And, uh, you know, if you did well there, then you kind of like got on USA Cycling's radar. So went to one of those and yeah, it went pretty well. And um, I guess, yeah, my first year junior. So for me, it was like, as soon as I knew, you could go to Europe with a national team. I was like, Oh, that's, that's like the dream. You that's know? sick. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my goal. Um, and so I was like, Oh, how do me, I, sorry, I usually don't want to jump in. Let me pause you here for a second. Cause this is really interesting because there are a lot of like, I coach a uh, junior in Georgia and talking to parents and the coach and the athlete, it's a very different dynamic with juniors. And because they have a lot of other things going on and they're 16, 17, 18 years old, yeah was the for you to find cycling was it the ski buddy or how did you get into racing because this isn't really an american thing yeah it was probably mostly through skiing and honestly like if so i guess i did like one 
mountain bike race when we were on like vacation in Montana when I was a kid, you know? So it was just, it was, yeah, it was really through skiing that I got into mountain biking. And then, yeah, I think uh, I was like, oh, it'd be fun to do a race. And yeah. I guess I was just, you know, also a competitive person. So I was like, oh, you know, like racing would be the logical That's, thing to do. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I guess I was also quite lucky when I was like a junior um, that I had a couple like, so we had a really good, like, group ride in our town. And then there were a couple guys who were really into racing. And um, one of them, he, like, took me under his wing. And so, like, his name is Jeff Cook. And he was, like, a very strong, like, local guy. So, like, at the time, he was probably, like, the strongest, you know, guy in Michigan. And uh, he just so happened to, like, live quite close to me. And he really uh, took me under his wing and took me to a bunch of races. And, and so he was definitely the guy who, like, set me on the path you know um awesome. so yeah if it wasn't for him i don't think i'd be like a pro today so um dude shout out jeff yeah Thank jeff yeah sorry to derail you there so you're so you get the bug of like okay i can maybe go to europe with the junior team Did yeah that, were you feeling all in then or were you just like this is another sport i'm still no i was just like sick i can get a free trip to europe like that's cool, cool you know yeah. like it was like yeah, I like riding my bike and, you know, I actually, I'll never forget is like, um, so yeah, I guess quickly, like, so through that regional camp, I ended up racing in the Tour de Libidibi. Um, So I did the nationals and I was like top 10 in the time trial. And then I did Libidibi and I was also like top 10 in the TT and maybe had some good rides there. So um, that got me to race with the national team like that fall in Europe. And then I did quite well. So I went back the year after and then just kept going back mm -hmm. but uh but yeah i remember like when we were juniors um there was another guy named rob bush um who was quite good at the time he was from kentucky and uh we were going over on the same plane to belgium and he was like oh, oh, i i think i asked him like what he wanted to do when he grew up you know and he's like well i want to be a pro cyclist and i was like really he's like you don't you know i was like i don't know i guess i never thought about it you know like to me it wasn't even a possibility it was just like He's like, why would you be coming here? I was like, well, why wouldn't I be? You know, like, it's yeah. sweet. We get a free trip to Europe, you know? Um, so, yeah. Uh, it wasn't really until I was, like, uh, in college um, and already, like, an under-23 that I thought, like, oh, maybe this is actually something I could or would like to do for a living. So That's interesting perspective of one kid is in the moment, the other is future planning, and you're like, oh, damn, maybe this could really lead to something. That's yeah. Huh. So would you, having been where you are now, and I think for juniors, one conversation I had with a kid where he's like, I'm trying to get my head on straight. I don't know how committed I want to be. And I had told him like, listen, man, as much as talented as you are, if you don't love this, if you don't want to do this, and it's the cliche thing, if you're doing this because your dad's telling you, you have to do this, like start yeah. doing stuff. Like you're, you're going to be really upset in three years. What do you say to the kid maybe that's listening that, you know, the talent ID camps are still a thing, going to big races. Uh, how much of an importance is it to get on the radar of USA Cycling to be able to have some of these European experiences early? Maybe you suck it up a little bit to get to there to experience that and then see where you're going. Or what would you say to a teenager in the US? Because it's they're in a funny place, like all their buddies aren't doing this. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm just, it's like a hard, um, I don't even know how to ask the question, but like, yeah, it's, I guess what I would say is just like, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, the thing is, is I think 
there was a much better system in place when I was young. Um, I think, you know, Yusuke doesn't have maybe the same funding as they used to. And mm-hmm. so they do less trips they take less kids. Um, so that's really tough, you know, because like, I wouldn't be a pro cyclist if it wasn't for USA Cycling either. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really have like a lot to thank them for. Um, but yeah, now I, I guess like I don't really know what the best uh, solution is now, but I would say, you know, you have to really excel at your local level. And then, you know, you really just have to try to keep moving up the ranks. So, you know, if you can get mm-hmm. to some big races, if you can go to like nationals, if you can do that, and do the best you can there. Um, that's maybe the way read go about it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess the good thing is in the U S there is like action. If, you know, guys are able to get on that, you know, that's like quite a good ticket. Um, I would say, um, it's no, this is a really good answer to hear because it's like, just take it in steps. Everybody's like, well, I'm on this local time. I'm like my cat local cat three. And I'm not sure if I want to go to Europe yet. And so I would, I'm like, dude, you're not even cat one yet. Like you need to, don't worry about that. Like, yeah. And there's just a lot of voices in these kids heads now where it's like specialize in one sport only do this. I'm like, dude, go to soccer camp. No. Yeah. Like have fun, keep doing like, you know, enjoy yourself. Like, go to college you know like i don't know just try to live like like a kid you know don't try to be a pro when you're 16 years old otherwise it's not going to last very long you know so that's awesome so you go through you get over there and you go through college and you're really starting to think that this could become a thing and then was it 2012 you got in with bmc or what was the timeline there yeah so i was like um so in 2009, I raced for a development team or like it was like a, an elite under 25 team in the U.S. called Waste Management, mm-hmm. which um, it was an awesome team. It was probably the best um, elite team in the U.S. So like best not continental team. And like <clears throat> it was I mean, that was probably the most fun team I've ever been on. Um, it was like we were so well supported. You know, we didn't get paid. But like beyond that, we had like we had the best support, you know, we got to do great races around the U S and, um, we did some nice training camps and we just had like a really good time. That, that was like really an awesome team to be on. And, um, so it was run by a guy named Barney King out of, uh, Arizona, um, out of Phoenix. And, um, he was also, he worked with the national team and that was how I knew him a little bit. Um, and unfortunately after 2009, that team stopped. So I was trying to find a new team and, the national team coach at that time was leaving the national team to work for BMC. And they had had some under 23 riders the year before. And um, yeah, I got quite lucky because, you know, he, he really believed in me. And um, so I had sent BMC an email to uh, see, you know, if they had any places open um, because I don't think Livestrong did. And uh, which was action at the time. Um, and yeah, apparently this guy really like uh, put himself on the line for me. And uh, yeah, I got a spot like on like as a development rider for BMC. So that was in 2010. I got to go to like the training camp with like George Cadell. You know, like that was the first year all the big sick. guys like went there. Alessandro Ballon. Um, so that was pretty sick as like a kid to go to this training camp, like, you know, 19, 20 years old and get to uh ride with all these guys you know who were like my heroes as a kid um so that was that was pretty sweet um and then yeah it was that year I wasn't actually great and I don't know I I had had mono that year I don't know if that like 
maybe it had something to do with it, but I was pretty average almost the whole year. And so 2011, I um, took a semester off of school, like the second semester, um, my junior year of college to see if I could really like, you know, make it as a pro if I went all in. So um, I went to South Carolina to train for like a couple of months in the warm weather. And then um, I went to Europe from like February, March um, to do like a lot of the bigger under 23 races. And yeah, I did well enough that I actually, um, <clears throat> I signed a contract with BMC my third year under 23 to the following year, do like another year under 23 and then stagiaire with them and then two years pro. So um, yeah, it worked out pretty well. I, I think I was fortunate just like, um, you know, a lot of stars aligned in my uh, progression. Um, but yeah. yeah. So there's so a lot of out. hard work and diligent thinking to make those stars align. So yeah, like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely worked my ass off. Um, yeah. So that was always one thing that was present, but, but yeah. And then what was the biggest thing that uh, were you sort of shocked yourself when you're in the world tour and uh you know, you finally make it there. What's the mindset of like, okay, I'm here. Now I got to do some stuff. Uh, I think that's actually really, that's like a, that's a good question because that's like a thing that I think a lot of guys struggle with is like, you know, your whole life, you have this big goal, like to become a pro, you know, and then you become a pro and you're like, Oh shit, what now? You know, like uh, you have to re <laughs> recalibrate and reset those goals. So it wasn't until uh, my first year, I was a bit lost also moving to Europe alone for the first time, you know, like getting my own apartment. Mm -hmm. I thought, I thought like, Oh, this is going to be sweet. I'm in my own apartment, blah, blah, blah. It was like, shit. We, we might've stayed in some shitty places with the national team, but it was way easier and probably more fun because you were with your friends, you know? Totally. So when I moved on my own, it was, it was not that easy. Um, and then, yeah, the second year was really like, okay, I was like, what, you know, I need to like set some goals, you know? So I, I, I think my, one of my goals, my second year pro was like to get one world tour point, which is kind of funny, but like at the time, like now this whole system has changed, but like at the time to get a world tour point, I think you had to be top five on a stage of a world tour race or top 10 GC. So, um, oh, yeah. So then, that's uh, a big I goal, got, dude. That's Yeah. I got third on a stage of tour de Swiss that year um and like it was actually a bit of shame because like i was a, a little bit in, i was by far the strongest guy in the breakaway and uh i was just not very experienced so like if it were today i'm like 90 percent sure i'd win the stage but like i was just too green and uh inexperienced and so i got third but but yeah so that was that was pretty nice and then i don't remember what my other goals were but uh yes yeah, so then i was like okay like um that kind of was the next step. Has goal setting always been a big thing for you to help you? Um, in and out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very important uh, to do. And sometimes I'm bad about doing it, you know? Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's a really, it's a really helpful thing to do. So you can always be focused on something and, you know, have something that motivates you in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Let's, uh, let's talk about some training questions. These are always ones that everybody's curious what the pros do. And yeah. even if you think of like maybe what you used to do versus what you do now, and maybe if things change, I don't know if you ever had a coach because then once you get to the world tour, you have to have a coach. Um, so super open-ended question. What do you think is the most important aspect of your training? When you consistency, consistency, I think. Uh, that. That, is, that is ride the bike. Because – 
what I'll tell you is that like okay, years old, I've had training peaks since I was 15 years old. So I can still go back and see, you know, 16 years of data on training peaks, which is pretty insane because like I have some teammates who they got training peaks for like the first time last year. They're like, this is incredible. I was like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, yeah, I've had this since I was a child, you know? Um, oh. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm someone who's very, very into like all the training and everything and what i've realized like i've probably had i would say since i've been a pro i've probably had maybe five different coaches probably about five different coaches who are all probably would be generally regarded as in the best 20 coaches in the world you know they've coached numerous grand tour winners you know they've coached like um a lot of the best riders in the world. And I can tell you the training has been different almost every single time, but the result has almost always been the same. So I think there's like a thousand ways to skin a cat. I think Mm -hmm. as long as you're riding your bike and you're not doing anything stupid and you're not over training, um, I think training is actually relatively simple. Um, So yeah, I've done like all these different types of training and I can tell you that my threshold probably has never changed more than like 10 to 20 watts in between every every from every year i've been pro and then like uh yeah in between every different types of training that i've done there's really not been a whole lot of difference in the yeah result i guess so the absolute numbers haven't changed do you think it's just the depth what everybody says now you can do it hour five what you used to be able to do at hour three or what's so that 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 is something where like maybe training can help a bit is like um things like endurance so i would say like um doing some things like some kind of low carb training um things like that can really improve your fatigue resistance um that'll help you do these you know, efforts or whatever in like hour five versus, you know, rather than only like the first three hours. Um, I would not say that's like a good way to lose weight. I think it's like really stressful on the body, but for me, that's maybe one thing that's helped a little bit in terms of like, um, I guess improving your endurance and stuff. But to be honest, no, like I wouldn't even say like, I wouldn't say my endurance has changed all that much. You know, I think it's just like, you could do a million different things and you're going to be the same rider in the end. What are those? Can you think of as long as you're training hard? But, yeah. So, okay. This is good. So what would you describe as like training hard? People are going to hear that, especially American cyclists as I need to go crush all the time. No, no, no. Also you need to rest. Rest is very important. That's probably like rest is probably more important than, well, okay. I don't know. I train very hard in general. So like, and I would say a lot of Americans, okay, what's very hard volume or intensity or how do we both i don't okay. know i do volume cool. and intensity cool, but cool. like uh, um yeah i would say it's hard i mean like i said I, I don't know i've done like low volume high intensity high volume without a ton of intensity and both i'm usually pretty good off of you know so um, I definitely, I find personally, I, I need a bit of intensity, um, in my training to be good in the races. Um, so yeah, I would do a lot of efforts. Um, I would say I probably would do a lot more volume in the lead up. And then like, as it gets close to the race, I do a lot more intensity. Um, 
but I'd always have some intensity. Um, I guess the whole, pretty much the whole year. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so would that be like me? And sorry to get granular on this. I just know no, people love fine. this. Um, so when you're coming up, say pre-season, pre-racing, and you're doing some intensity, maybe one session during the week, and then a lot of like endurance. Okay. Tempo, so like, or... I guess if I like last year was maybe the strongest I've ever been in terms of like, you know, numbers, everything, um, and sensation in the races. Um, and I would say like the whole period during like lockdown and COVID from like March, April, May, I was doing, um, I was doing pretty similar stuff. So I was doing a lot of like high zone two work, you know, like a lot of like <clears throat> harder endurance days. And then, um, I guess I was avoiding a lot of like VO two. And then maybe like once per week I do like a VO, I do like a Zwift, I do a bunch of Zwift. I do like three Zwift races in a row or something, you know? Okay. So like get just like a shit ton of VO2. And, but I'd only do it like once a week. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was doing like these big three, three week blocks. And then I do like one week, super easy, mm -hmm. almost nothing. Then three weeks, big block where, so I was doing quite a lot of hours and I was doing quite a lot of intensity also. Um, <laughs> but yeah. You giggle um, and you say that like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. But the problem is like, if I didn't have these like week breaks every three weeks, I would have died. You know, I, I wouldn't have been able to sustain it. And every time I'd get to the end of one of these three week blocks, I was like really barely holding on, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I think it's interesting because when you're a high level pro, one of the hardest things to, um, I guess get, get right is, um, training in between races because we race so much. So, you know, I would say for me, since I've been pro, I've probably averaged around 80 race days a year, wow. which is really a lot. And so it's like, you know, you race and maybe you have a week, then you have another race, you know, then you have a few days, then you have another race, then you maybe have two weeks. So it's like getting that like balance between rest and training, recovery everything right is maybe one of the hardest things to do as a pro because like like so last year i think one of the reasons i had the best fitness was because i was able to prepare like i was like you know a leader or something because like i just had this huge clear schedule to just prepare for you know the second part of the year which doesn't really happen as a pro that much because it's like our seasons used to go january to october then maybe you take a month off and then you're like back into it again so <clears throat> So this is actually, I think a lot of amateurs could benefit from this. This is where it gets sticky for people. And we were actually, I put out a lot of like super short podcasts and talking about arranging what you hear everybody talk about their A race. And sometimes guys are like, okay, I've got four A races, but there's, you just, like you said, there's two weeks, there's one week. And I'm like, okay, there's kind of a lot of A, a races. Like what's really the most important? Are you even trying to peak or do you need to be like at your best for all five? When you have those things where it's like, you can't do three weeks on one week off and, and the racing starts to get funky. Um, what, it, what do you kind of do? How do you sort through that? Is it mostly by sensation? Like I need to go rip it today. I just feel like a little off or are you trying to map it out more? Yeah. So, I mean, like with my coach, we would map things out, but then I would also, I have like a lot of input. Um, so now that, you know, I've been a pro for quite a long time now, um, which is still like crazy to me, you know, like now I'm here, I'm in altitude right now and there's like a lot of other riders here and I'm like, Holy shit. Like I'm not young anymore. You know, there's a bunch of guys like 22, 23. I just turned 31. I'm like, Oh damn. You know, like, uh, 
crazy time flies but um i guess the one thing i've gotten better at over the years is just knowing like when i need to rest you know mm-hmm. and so like if i'm just not feeling that good if i'm starting to feel tired like i'm usually someone who's like push 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 mm-hmm. and it can be dangerous when you get with a coach who's also like push 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 um so my coach is a bit like that. So now I have to say like, okay, now I need to rest. Mm-hmm. And he needs to know that like, if I say I need to rest, like I need to rest, you know, mm-hmm. um, because like I will push my limits until I can't push them anymore. And I think that's been maybe an error I've made quite a few times in my career is like, I've just really pushed a bit too far. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really important to be, to acknowledge um, because yeah, your coach doesn't know, you know, how you feel, you know, like, like, yeah, maybe every day you can go out and you can do the numbers and you can hit them and it's fine. But it's like, there's a difference between hitting the numbers and feeling amazing and like dying to hit them. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the other thing is just like, there's so many other factors and things that happen in your life that maybe your coach doesn't know about, you know, and like the stress and everything, which I think it's also important to have like a good relationship with your coach. So you're willing to talk with them and, you know, um yeah i guess disclose things that like are maybe a bit private or things that are stressful in your life so that they're aware of like the mind you know the mental state you're in and uh because those things like really affect uh your output as well so that string right there there's always something that one of you guys or girls say that's like that's such a great snippet of just like a huge gem for people of communication listening to your body you know it's it's very funny too with you talk about having training peaks for so long. Us as athletes, we get in a groove of how we use training peaks. So sometimes when like Johnny goes and I'm like, dude, dude hasn't commented on the past three rides. He's like, yo, dude, what's up? He's like, oh, dude, just got fired from my job or got in an argument. All these things that we don't know on the other end. So that for you to tell people like, hey, man, like let the person that's helping you know what you're going through just because everything doesn't come through in the metrics. And it's like you're, we – we kind of forget that we're these human beings that have other things besides just cycling. So yeah, that that's uh, to hear you say that it's like, it sort of humanizes Larry to people that are, you know, people that you're just this amazing cyclist to them. It's yeah. good to hear you have those uh, that same sort of like thread with your coach. Um, is there anything, any like small thing that you think has made a big impact in your training? You mean in terms of like types of training or I uh, guess what I would say for me, one of the biggest things um, <clears throat> that has made a, one of the things that's made the biggest difference is just nutrition over the last. Uh, so like I fuel my hard workouts like crazy. Like um, so if I do like a really hard day, I'll consume like 100 to 120 grams of carbs at least um, per hour mm-hmm. per hour. So that's like, you know, four to 500 calories an hour mm-hmm. of like pure carbs. Um, what are you eating? Uh, well, the thing is, if you're doing that much, like pretty much I have to drink, drink like beta fuel or, you know, like, um, so I'll have like a really high carb drink. So maybe I'll have like 80 grams in the bottle. And then a lot of times I train with gels and stuff because it's like, it's the most efficient. Uh, you know, I know a lot of guys like, oh, real food, blah, blah, blah. And that's great if you don't have a very hard ride. But if you really want to like function, at like the optimal um i think you know so okay for example i like heard a podcast 
I think it was with Colby Pierce or someone. And he was like, oh, you know, you should only be eating real food or whatever. It's like, well, cycling is not healthy. Cycling is not a healthy sport. If you're doing it like really as an in, as intense as we are and like racing and trying to function at the limits of like human capacity. Um, so yes, like sure. Eating just sugar and stuff is not good for you in general, it, like as a health thing, but in terms of performance it's the best. And so if you want to perform the best, you need to consume the things that are going to help you perform the best, which are things like gels, beta fuel, you know, just like, um, so if I'm doing like a, you know, an endurance ride where I don't need to fuel like crazy, then yeah, sure. I'll stop and I'll have a cake or whatever, you know, or I'll eat real food, blah, blah, blah. But like, if I'm really trying to like smash it, I'll, I'll be just drinking beta fuel and having gels and stuff like that. And it's, it's not like I enjoy them. You know, I don't think that tastes awesome. You know, like I don't love smashing a gel, but um, I definitely think in terms of performance, it's maybe the optimal thing to consume. So I would say fueling, your hard workouts like really really well uh, is very important and then yeah i also like to do some lower carb days too but yeah i I really like polarize my nutrition all right everybody that is part one with larry warbass be sure to come back for part two where we continue to have a lot of good training and racing conversations and he's going to circle back on the low carb training it's not as simple as a lot of people think And it's definitely the cherry on top, not something you want to start your training with. So I really hope people take a minute to listen to that. Hope you have a great week of training. If you're doing any racing, maybe some resting, whatever you're doing, doing it with gusto and have a great day. Larry, thanks, man. This was incredible. See you in a few days for part two.